So we're starting today our series on marriage. It's good so many of you have turned up. Uh, I don't know what to read into that. There's a whole bunch of different marriages, you know, and, and some are doing well, some are doing not so well. But I want to just start by saying, those of you who are here that aren't married, it is good that you are here. And I want to honour you for coming along. You know, maybe you didn't know, but this is a series on marriage. If you want to leave, you've still got a couple of seconds to do that. But uh, it's good that you're here. And we want to affirm that. And it genuinely is my hope that you'll be able to really receive from this series. Um, That God will be able to speak to you about relationships, close relationships that you have. Because a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is not just applicable in marriage relationships, but, but, but ideas, principles that you'll be able to apply to all kinds of relationships in your life. So if you are single, we want this to be an inclusive series. If you are widowed, we want you to feel a part of this. If for whatever reason you're not in a marriage relationship, maybe you want to be, maybe you don't want to be, we're all in this together. So we're walking this road together. It's not exclusive. It's not an elite little club. This is the whole church on this journey. So that's kind of the starting blocks. That's where we need to begin. But we are going to be looking over the next few weeks at marriage and covering a few different issues off along the way. I'm going to speak uh, today and then next week Brian McStay, who's a counsellor in our church, is going to come and uh, bring a teaching on marriage from a different angle. And then uh, the third week we're going to do something completely different and you'll have to wait and see what that's going to be about. Let me, uh, I'll start by telling you a bit of my story, a bit of our story. Uh, I met Anna when uh, I think I was 16, she was 15. And uh, yeah, we met at a children's camp. We weren't children. We were leaders of this children's camp and Anna was down at this children's camp. It was a holiday camp, holiday program. She was there because she loved children's ministry and she loved kids and she wanted them to know Jesus. I was there because I was chasing another girl. <laughs> and um, I, so, so I liked someone who liked children's ministry was basically how that went. So I wasn't there really for quite the same pure motives that Anna was. And we, we didn't see each other after that initial camp. But we came back the next school holidays, we came back again to the same camp. We both ended up back there and I think my old love interest by that stage had faded so I was slightly more focused on ministry uh, of some kind or other at that point and Anna was there and, and, and we kind of got to know each other a little bit during that camp. Um, I tried to impress her with my piano rendition of Lovers All Around Us and, and she, you know that one, and she played along on the guitar, you know. It was very romantic. I was, I was intrigued by this young woman from the distant land of Mount Eden. And I was a shore boy and she, you know, she thought that was pretty cool, I think. So we kept in touch after that and there was no texting in those days. Um, it makes us sound so old, you know, I mean, I'm only 31, but, you know, no texting. Um, it was landline phone calls from our parents' place a couple of times a week and uh, letters. I mean, I don't write letters, but actual written letters. We would write these long, long letters to each other and stay up late into the night talking. And I only had my learner's licence at this stage, so we'd go on the occasional date, but I, I remember one of the dates we went on, we literally had to catch the bus from Anna's place into town because I couldn't really drive around. So that's, you know, nothing as romantic as a ride on some public transport. To, <laughs> that's the way to a girl's heart, right? Take her for a ride on the bus. That's gonna <laughs> After that, she'll be putty in my hands, you know. No, <laughs> didn't work like that. So, you know, we kind of had this dating relationship and then after a while we decided that we really were in love and we started officially going out, which was kind of a term that that you gave it in those days. 
and uh, went out for five or six years, ended up being, until we got married. And, and you know, there are so many stories. You've, you've got your story, we've got our story, but um, it seems there's often a pattern with these kinds of things. And even those of you that have just been in a dating relationship, maybe, uh, you know that's often, almost always, the way it starts, isn't it? It starts with that kind of infatuation stage. And it's literally a burst of adrenaline to be around each other. You're, anyone remember this? These times? feels so long ago, doesn't it? You know, not for me. Not for me. <laughs> I'm going to dig myself in all kinds of holes this morning just to let you know. Man, oh man. Okay, so, but it, it, that's kind of how it actually starts and you have those feelings of ecstasy just being around each other and, uh, you know, in the early days, everything that I said was funny. Anna thought, Anna, every, I think she thought, everything I said was hilarious. Um, but now, you know, she finishes my jokes now. She, <laughs> she knows exactly what I'm going to say. And, and I used to think everything she did was just adorable and cute and sweet. And you know those times, and your heart's just beating away and you just, you do, you do things that you'd never normally do, don't you? I mean, I don't write letters. barely even write emails. But I wrote these long, long letters. And I'm not an evening person. I mean, these days, whatever I'm doing at 9 o'clock at night, I just fall asleep straight away. But back then, I would stay up late into the night talking. I didn't care about the time. We'd just sit there in the car or even as I'm talking on the phone, talking, talking, talking. This is, that's being in love and it's great. That's a good thing. That's where relationships start. There's the spark, there's this energy, there's this rush, there's this adrenaline and it carries you forward and you can ride that wave for a long, long time. And this is, I mean, years and years and years. This is often what, what propels couples forward in their dating relationship and you get into a stage after that, I think, that is a bit more settled. Maybe it's not the actual adrenaline rush, but you're just in a settled stage of romance and all the feelings are still there, but it's a bit more stable. And, and this sweeps couples to the altar where they make these profound promises to each other about loving each other for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, this ringing any bells, till death do us part. And the thing is, you know, I often think about this when I take wedding ceremonies, that's the easiest day of your life to say those things, isn't it? That's, I mean, you've got the, the dress, the suit, the honeymoon's around the corner, all your friends and family are there. It's, I mean, it's fueled by all this emotion. Of course you're going to stand there and say, for better, for worse, for richer and poor. That's, that's, that's easy in that moment. And, and often the first little bit is fine, but what seems to happen, and this is such a common story, is that there comes a point in time, sometimes in the first year of marriage, sometimes years and years down the track, when those initial feelings start to fade a little bit. And that initial rush starts to wear off. Those emotions start to die down. And that spark just seems to be flickering. And this can make some people very panicky because they, they, they start to get really, really worried that what, what's happening here? You know, I was in love, we fell in love, it was all going so well, but almost as if it's not within your control, you start to lose that connection. You start to lose those emotions and you start to wonder, maybe I'm falling out of love. Have you heard that phrase? Maybe I'm falling out of love. It's interesting, even the language that we use, the metaphor of falling, that this is somehow something I can't control. I fell in, now I'm falling 
out. All of this is all, it's, it's like I'm powerless. That, that's how you can feel. And at the same time that that's happening for some couples, another thing starts to happen, which is that outside of the relationship, there's something else that starts to pull. And there's something else, not necessarily another person, it could be another person, but it could be a lifestyle, could be a substance, could be anything, and it starts to have that initial impact on you that your spouse used to have. So that initial adrenaline rush, that initial infatuation that got you guys together, all of a sudden there's something else now that is providing that for you outside of your relationship. Another person at work, pornography, a lifestyle of just going out and drinking with the boys, whatever it is, there's something over here and it's alluring. And so there's that pull going on as well. And at the same time, this relationship over here starts to feel quite stale. All of these forces keep working away on you until you eventually decide, I'm just not in love with this person anymore. And at that point, many couples, many individuals simply decide to bail because if I'm not in love anymore, what have I got? If I don't have the feelings, what have I got? If I don't have the emotional connection, what's left in the marriage. And not every relationship goes that way. Of course, there's there's plenty of happy stories, but there are also plenty of marriages that have become lifeless, stagnant, just coexisting, or eventually disintegrating because people feel like they have fallen out of love. And this is fundamentally because we tend to base our marriages and our relationships on being in love. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for being in love. I'm, I'm in love and I'm glad to be in love. But what we do is we make in love the foundation. This idea of being in love, it becomes the thing. And when that's gone, you feel like, well, what, what else do we have? We must have fallen out of love. And because of this, some couples now are even getting to their marriage day, standing at the altar, and instead of the line about, till death do us part, you know what the new trend is now? so long as love shall last. What does that tell you? We've fundamentally changed the way we think about love. Now love is this thing that I don't have any control over. It may or may not be here in a year's time. It might take off and we can't do much about it. So if the day comes when the love doesn't last, well, we've done a good job, we've tried our best, let's just call it quits. That is the narrative that a lot of us build our marriages on. Being in love. The primary thing I want to stress to you this morning, and if you hear nothing else, hear this. Love is a completely different thing to being in love. Love and being in love are not the same. Let me illustrate this with a clip from the movie Captain Corelli's Mandolin. I don't know whether you've seen this movie. Lovely scene in the movie that unpacks this idea. Have a look at this. When you fall in love, it is a temporary madness. It erupts like an earthquake and then it subsides. And when it subsides, you have to make a decision. You have to work out whether your roots have become so entwined together that it is inconceivable that you should ever part. Because this is what love is. 
Love is not breathlessness. It is not excitement. It's not the desire to mate every second of the day. It is not lying awake at night imagining that he is kissing every part of your body. No. Don't blush. I'm telling you some truths. That is just being in love, which any of us can convince ourselves we are. Love itself is what is left over when being in love has burned away. Love is what is left over when being in love has burned away. If you've got a Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> it's the classic passage that gets read out at so many weddings. Some of you are like, I don't even want to turn there because I've so read it so many times. If you don't have a Bible, you can stick up your hand and, and, and Biffy will pass you one. But verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13, and as I read this, just keep in mind the, the contrast here with what we've been talking about as being in love. All the emotion, all the sentiment, all the romance, all good stuff, the things that we think about as being in love, think about how that differs from this definition of what love is. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's amazing that when you come to this place where Paul describes the essence of real love, you don't find any of these emotional, sentimental, fluffy concepts. And I know some of you, especially women, are looking at me going, well, you're just a guy, you know. You just, of course, that's how a guy would talk about it, you know. You're not into the emotional, the fluffy, the romance, but that's important stuff. It is important and it is good. But what I want to argue and, and, and what I think this passage is saying to us is that stuff is not the foundation Here's the foundation, real love. What is love? It's a determined commitment to meet the needs of the other person. It's a determined commitment to meet the emotional, physical, relational needs of your spouse. It's a commitment to exercise patience even when that person is driving you absolutely crazy. It's a commitment to exercise kindness and gentleness, even when it's not reciprocated. It's a commitment to exercise forgiveness, even when it's not deserved. That is the essence of what real love is, and that has to be the foundation of a biblical marriage, a determined commitment. This is a decision of your will. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not something outside of your control that you just can't possibly do anything about. It is your determined commitment to meet the needs of your spouse. It comes from your will. It comes from your mind and the emotions follow. The emotions catch up. That's the order in which God has designed things. And of course, there's going to be times 
when this decision to love is going to be exactly what you feel like doing. You know, those times when the, the, everything's just going well and you've had a great day at work and you've met all your targets and, and, and your, your spouse is treating you as you want to be treated and you feel romantic and, and everything's just clicking in. Of course you want to serve them then. Of course you want to meet their needs then. Of course you want to talk nicely to them then. Of course you want to invest in the relationship then. And that's good stuff. But there are times when this decision to love, this decision to be patient, kind, not self-seeking, is going to run counter to how you feel. One of the things with Anna and I is that, um, I think this is true of quite a lot of relationships, I tend to go to bed to sleep. Anna tends to go to bed to talk. This is a fundamental problem. Because we get to bed, and we may have had a whole evening sort of sitting around, but for some reason... She, she has saved up the good stuff, you know, the conversation for when we're finally lying in bed at night. And I'm just, I mean, I'm nodding off. As soon as my head hit that pillow, I'm just starting to get, you know, zone out. And she's lighting up. She's got opinions, topics, analysis. And, uh, and it's good, valuable stuff. Don't get me wrong. Really. And so... Uh, okay. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's not always the stuff I feel like talking about because I've used up my word count for the day already <laughs> and, and I'm already starting to use up some of tomorrow's word count um, and I'm just not there, I'm not in the zone. Now, now, just take that scenario. If it's based on this sort of how I'm feeling and, and whether, you know, the in love stuff is all happening at that point, you know, for me, I'm, then, then I'm zoning out, I'm checking out, I'm rolling over and I'm going to sleep. If it's based on my feelings, right, we haven't got a shot in that situation. For me, and I, I get this wrong more often than not, all right, so I'm just being, oh, we, we have not got this figured out. Um, for me, you know, it takes a decision to enter into that conversation. It's, I, I genuinely don't always find that easy. It takes... A decision might run against the grain of what I felt like doing in that moment. And sometimes, to my shame, I don't make the right call. But that's the crux of what we're talking about. I know that's a little example, but there's the difference right there between just acting based on being in love or feelings, romance, infatuation, and the decision to love. Now, of course, underneath that, we're still in love. But that doesn't always mean it's going to line up with exactly how you feel. For some of you, there's all kinds of examples and situations where this is true. For some of you, it may be a bigger issue. For some of you, this could be a really serious deal. And right now, your marriage is just hanging on by a thread. Because some of you feel like, well, I've lost the, I've lost the feelings and I'm just not really feeling it anymore. And, and, and maybe there's something outside of your marriage that's pulling you away. See, if we are going to build marriages on the foundation of love, we're going to have to make some difficult choices. Some choices that we don't always feel like making and that don't always feel like the stuff that we always thought marriage was all about, but it's the stuff that in the moment is going to make or break the relationship. It's the stuff that in the moment is going to breathe life back into that relationship rather than death. It's the decision to choose to love rather than just base it all on my feelings. For you, there could be something else outside the marriage right now that's pulling you apart and you need to make a decision today as to what you're going to do with that thing. 
Because one of the phrases in that passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love always protects. That means love always protects your relationship from something outside the marriage that is threatening the marriage. And it means you make a decision, whatever that thing is, to cut it off. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, what did he say? Gouge it out. He didn't say, oh, just put an eye patch on. He didn't say, just just look the other way or just close your eye. He said, gouge it out. And for some of you, there is something this morning that you need to gouge out, out of a decision to love. Even if it's not what you feel like, even if all the emotions are pulling you in this direction. There's a decision to protect your marriage against something that's threatening it from the outside. That's going to be based on a decision to love and not on the feelings of being in love. I heard the story once of a couple. uh, The husband was taking a particular train to work every day and he sat next to the same woman on the train every day and over time he developed a bit of a friendship with her. And then over time it started to feel like maybe it was a bit more than a friendship. And the odd flirtatious comment got exchanged and the odd touch of the hand and he started to have these feelings for this woman. He started to become more and more attracted to her and he didn't really know where to go with this. So he decided to talk to his wife about it. He sat down with her and he said, Honey, look, I just want to be honest with you. I I take this train. There is this woman. I sit next to her every day and I feel like I'm becoming attracted to her. And this this wife looked at her husband and spoke to him just two words. Change trains. Change trains. Some of you need to change trains this morning. For some of you there is someone or something or some lifestyle that you're playing around with and you need to cut it off. You need to gouge it out. You need to protect your marriage. You need to choose to love. And I know we're so big on the feelings. We're so big on the emotions. We're so big on following our heart. Have you heard that? You know, I just, but I'm just following my heart over here. I just got to follow my heart. You know what Jeremiah 17:9 says about your heart? It says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can cure it? Is that what you want to follow? Your heart will lead you off a cliff. Your heart will leave you in a ditch by the side of the road because your heart does not act in your interests. You don't want to follow your heart. You've got to lead your heart. You've got to lead your heart and tell your heart where it's going to go. You've got to take back some control. You've got to take back a bit of self-mastery. This is your decision. This is your choice to protect your marriage. It's not outside of your control. It's not some fait accompli. I just can't help it, you know. It's not just not how I'm feeling. You've got to decide. For some of you, this means deciding to exercise some of these virtues in this passage, deciding to be loving, deciding to watch the way that you speak within your marriage, that when you get that insult or that snap or that grump that comes at you, you're going to decide to bite your tongue. You're not going to snap back, fire it back and fire a bullet. You're going to bite your tongue. You're going to leave the room if you have to leave the room. But you are just going to do whatever you need to do. Count to ten and you're going to speak a gentle word back into that. I know it's hard. I know this isn't easy, but this is where the rubber hits the road, guys. This is what it means to build a marriage that's based on the choice to love and not just being in love. 
Love is what's left over when being in love has burned away. And this is difficult stuff. I know that. I don't find it easy. Anna doesn't find it easy all the time. There's great times and there's hard times and it's up and it's down. But here's the thing. This is where this, this becomes different to just another self-help talk, another psychology talk. When you come back to 1 Corinthians 13 and you look at all these descriptions of love, love is patient, love is kind, you know what changed my thinking about this? I suddenly realised that these are not, in the first instances, descriptions of how I'm supposed to treat another person. These are descriptions of how God has treated me. That's where this starts. This is an amazing realisation that when you read these verses, you know what you're reading a description of? Jesus. That's who he was. This is who God is and was to you. This is what God has done for you. When you placed your faith in Jesus, he made a commitment to you for better or for worse. Didn't he? For better, for worse, richer, for poorer. What, was it, what, if, what, what if your relationship with God was all just based on the feelings and how you happened to treat him at the time and what he was entitled to do then back to you? Man, we'd be dead in the water. But God sticks with us. He hangs in there with us. He carries on with us because of his enduring, unfailing, abiding love for you and I. This is where it starts, guys. We need as individuals to come back and reclaim a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. And I know this is simple and you've heard it a thousand times, but I'll tell you this, I've never seen a marriage disintegrate where both parties were walking with God. I don't say that flippantly. I have never seen a marriage disintegrate where both parties, both people, were walking closely with God. I've just never seen it. Because we underestimate the impact that our personal faith has on our marriage relationship. So the foundational question is this, where are you at with God? You can't give your marriage partner what you don't have. You can't love them as love is supposed to be when you haven't received it from your Heavenly Father. We need to start by abiding in the deep love of God. For some of you this morning, the first decision to take your marriage to a new level or to rescue your marriage is a decision to renew and refresh your own relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a decision to come back and anchor yourself in his love and his grace and his power and start walking with him because that's where the resources come to be a good husband and a good wife. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It doesn't come just out of your head and your willpower and your trying. It comes from the resources that the Holy Spirit provides you. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness and good marriages and good relationships. Brian McStay uses this triangle. I might be stealing his thunder for next week, I don't know. But this was so simple but profound for me. This pyramid, this triangle with husband and wife at the bottom, two corners, and God at the top. He says, what happens is as you grow closer to God, what's happening to husband and wife? They're growing closer together. I mean, it's unbelievably simple, isn't it? But how often are we really practising this? As you're growing closer to God, You will grow closer to each other. It is out of your ever-deepening love with Christ that you become the husband God intends you to be. You become the wife that God intends you to be. Or you become the friend. You become the father, the mother, the son, the daughter. You become the human being that God wants you to be out of relationship with Christ. 
It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you that's going to give you the resources to accomplish these things that we're talking about today. So don't go out there and think, oh, I'm just going to try really hard. No, no, you're going to ground yourself in the extravagant love of God and let it come, let it emerge out of that. One of the dangers that happens when we talk about this stuff, and I feel this especially as a male, I'm very conscious of this, is that it can sound like all this is a recipe for a cold, sterile, clinical marriage. You know, and I know that some of you in your own minds are like, well, you just don't care about romance, do you? You just don't care about the feeling. It's all just this, it's like, you know, it's going to be a robotic marriage. My experience is that when you build your marriage on the right foundation, when you build it on the ground of Christ and the foundation of biblical love, then the romance is greater than it would have been if that's all you had. The feelings that follow are greater than if you just had the feelings in the first place. But they're not the foundation. Your emotions and feelings can't bear the weight of the relationship. They're never intended to be the foundation. They are intended to follow. And yes, I know for some of you there is a real challenge in bringing the romance back into your marriage. And that's a legitimate issue. For some of us, it's, it's reigniting that spark. It is bringing the romance back. That's important. But it's doing that in a way that doesn't make that the centre of the whole relationship. The centre is Christ and the foundation is love. It's your choice. And out of that come the emotional and the sentimental aspects of love as well. But they follow. They don't lead. They emerge as you learn to choose to love in the easy situations and the difficult situations. Let me wrap up today by reading you a story. Um, It's a story from a couple in our church and I asked them to write out some of their story, some of their testimony because they've been through some difficult times and um, they both wrote their testimony and I've kind of pieced it together. It starts with his story and then goes on to her story. And I want you to listen to this because it brings in so many themes, brings together so many themes we've been talking about today. He starts off, a few years back, our marriage was very rocky. I had certain expectations and needs from my wife that were not being met and we were not getting along at all. We didn't communicate, didn't speak nicely to each other and we're arguing every day about everything. I slept downstairs and she slept upstairs. We did our own things, basically. I guess the feeling of numbness toward her was unavoidable. I was unhappy and started to look for that missing component in our marriage elsewhere. But thank God, before long, he intervened. One night, not long after, not long after I wrote down, please fix my marriage on a piece of paper and stuck it on the cross at a Sunday morning service at Shaw. Our arguing had come to an intensity that I could bear no more and I had to move out from the house. I couldn't have another argument and something needed to be done, either walk out or work it out with the help of a counsellor. At this point I must share with you two things I did wrong in my marriage life. Just two years into my marriage I did commit an act of infidelity. I confessed and asked God for forgiveness but not to my wife and I kept it hidden from her. Not only that, I've also been secretly letting pornography linger in my marriage life. God had revealed to me for some time that the majority of the heartaches and sorrows in my marriage were the byproduct 
of the unconfessed marital infidelity sins and my selfishness. But every time I was reminded, I always quickly brushed it off. But that night I knew that it was time to confess to my wife and face the music. And then she takes over. He moved out of the home briefly and I found out by a letter he'd written to me of exactly what he'd done two years into our marriage, along with the other thing. I never thought he could do things like that to me and had no inclination that he had. I, of course, went into a complete rage, as anybody would in these circumstances, and at that moment felt that my marriage was over. After calming down and starting to think rationally and talking to close friends and family, I decided to talk to him about these issues. For me, even though I was deeply hurt, I still loved him and decided to forgive and gave him a second chance and worked on our marriage through our counselling, which helped a great deal. It took me a good long year to have that complete trust in him and to feel that he would never do that again. I know that God had his hand upon our marriage and that perhaps we both needed to go through what we did in order to get to where we are today. And it's a journey for these guys. It's not over. But you can see there, can't you, the decisions that they've made. If it was all about being in love, they'd be separated a long, long time ago. But both of them made choices, despite their stumblings and their failings. He made a choice to get help and to get counselling and eventually to confess to his wife. She made a choice to sit down with him, to talk to him about it and eventually to forgive. Those were tough choices. But that is 1 Corinthians 13, love. That is biblical love. That is a marriage that's based on the rock of Christ and built on the foundation of love and that allows the romance and the feelings to follow. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but for those of you who are married, there's a choice to make. And it's a choice to make regardless of whether you're doing incredibly well in your marriage or incredibly poorly. It's a decision to allow Christ to be central or even more central in your relationship than he already is. To take a look at your own personal walk with Jesus. How deep is it and where do you want to be? And how much impact is that having on your marriage relationship? It's a choice to talk together about what the foundation of your marriage is really going to be. And we have some flyers that we'll give you at the door, those of you who are married, that have a series of questions based on this message. And I want to encourage you to take some time in the next seven days before we get back here to ask each other these questions and to answer them honestly and to use these as, as conversation starters to do a little bit of a checkup on where your marriage is really at, whether it's great, whether you, you think it's already fantastic or whether it's terrible. Go through these questions and you might be surprised at some of the answers that you get. And for some of you, the challenge really is to how can we bring the romance back? You know, we've got the right foundation and now we want to give it that spark. Now we want to bring back that, that, that flame that maybe we've lost somewhere along the line. And with the right foundation, that's possible. But don't make it the structural foundation of your marriage. Let it emerge out of a deep love for Christ and a deep foundation of biblical marriage. That is the kind of marriage that can survive the flames. That is the kind of marriage that will get you through not just the for better times, but also the for worse. Let me pray. Father, I want to lift every married couple in this room to you now. And Lord, you know I, I don't 
say this to exclude any singles, but Lord, just in this moment, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak directly to husbands and wives in this room. Lord, show us those things that we need to put into practice to make our marriage really hum or to bring our marriage back from the brink of despair if that's where it is or to even bring it back to a place of reconciliation. Father, whatever each person needs, whatever each relationship needs, Holy Spirit, would you just press it on people's hearts even now? Just reveal it to us. Father, help us to be big enough people to hear from you when things need to change. Lord, if there's something that we're doing which is just killing this relationship, bring it to our minds. Lead us to confess it. Lead us to turn away from it. Father, I pray for each person here in terms of their own relationship with you. Lord, let us take stock of where we're at with you this morning. And for anyone who's just distant from you, anyone who doesn't have that foundation of Christ in their life, Holy Spirit, would you convict them even now where they sit? Just speak to them. Father, don't condemn. We know you won't, Lord. I pray this wouldn't be a beat-up, but it would be, Lord, breathe hope, breathe life, breathe new possibilities into people's lives and marriages and relationships. Lord, let us see that things can be new and even greater and better, that intimacy can be even more than it is now because of you. But Lord, let us build it on this foundation of a deep and overflowing relationship with you. That's where we want to start. And Father, we take this journey together starting today. And Lord, I'm conscious it's not all about this message now, but I pray over the next days and weeks that you'd lead us to do some soul-searching of our own relationships with you and our relationships with our spouse or others in our life. Father, let us be willing to ask hard questions and do the hard work and be willing to ask forgiveness where that needs to happen as well. Lord, all for the sake of these relationships that you've designed that are so precious to you. We thank you for marriage. We thank you that you desire to be honoured and glorified in our marriages and that's our desire too. So come and work among us today and in these coming weeks. In Jesus' name, Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz Thank you.